welcome to the Side Betting Podcast. This is a place where we'll be talking all things football, throwing a couple of tangents and top it off with a game or two. I'm joined as always by Mr. Not Quite Worldwide, but Mr. WD6 and most importantly, Mr. Co-host Kieran Burke. Kieran, how's it going? Yeah, I'm going well. I'm, I like the pitbull reference there. Although I am actually now Mr. AL7, not Mr. WD6. Oh, so I'm going to have to gonna you correct you. always there. be Mr. WD6 <laughs> to me. Never forget that. <laughs> Borenwood will always be in the heart. Yeah, I'm, I'm all good. I'm all good. How are we doing this week? Yeah, well, it's been a been a lot of work to bring a bit of a real-life boring side to the conversation. But a lot of work this week and then today. Some podcast research. It is actually researched, I know. Lies. <laughs> Lies, Lies and slander. I don't believe you've done any research. It's just all in that in that cranium of yours. Well, I'd like to say it's all it's all ball knowledge, but I hadn't heard of the history of Lee Carsley before <laughs> before these last <laughs> couple of weeks. <laughs> Are you sure? Talking of which, the under twenty one Euros, Kieran. Yeah, a good a, a good win for the for the boys there. It wasn't the most exciting of games. I've got to be honest. I did watch it yesterday, but the the main thing that matters is bringing the trophy home, and that's what they've done. I think they defended very well. It was one of those real cagey games, and. As we know over the years, finals do tend to be that. You kind of pitch up the final to be this big spectacle with the two best teams in the tournament going at it. But even looking at the Champions League in recent years, you can see it's, it is, it does tend to be a real cagey one. So, But yeah, they, they got the result, which is the main thing. What did you think of it? Well, unlike you, the game for me was like two o'clock in the morning. So I was able to watch live <laughs> the, first, the first 30 minutes of it and they ended up falling asleep, caught up this morning. But... Just to echo what you were saying, it was a very defensive game, different to England's games throughout the tournament, where they've been playing a lot of forward-moving, attacking football. Lee Carsley has them playing some really interesting football. Got a lot of, like, with the team that we'll go through in a moment, there's a lot of really attacking-minded young players in that team, and he seems to have got them moving the ball around very well. It may have been like a lucky deflection goal there, but they looked very good. Once again, do, do you mean Curtis a... Jones didn't mean to nod that into the bottom <laughs> corner? What are you trying to say? Oh, no slam to Curtis Jones. It was a pinpoint, <laughs> pinpoint accurate motion from the young. A player. loop and header into the bottom corner. I can't believe you're trying to claim that's the fluke there. He, he meant every bit of that. Well, that's what Liverpool fans will tell us anyway. But it was the second best mean, meaningful header this season since the Emmy Martinez goal against oh, sorry the Jorginho goal back yeah, we, earlier on in the year yeah I, I think just going back to, to the under 21s I think obviously the, the, the defence is the foundation of that whole team they've not conceded a goal all tournament which no matter what level it is that's an unbelievable achievement and I know James Trafford's got a lot of a lot of love um, on the back of that and rightly so as well obviously off to Burnley this summer so be interesting to see how he gets on in the Prem, but definitely looks a, a very good keeper. So that'll be interesting to see. Talking of James Trafford's that James Trafford that it's funny, recently there was a lot of talk about his movement to Burnley just being a money laundering scheme. And then he's come out during this Euros and made people think, Oh no, actually, he might be a nineteen million worth of goalkeeper and to be fair, with the save the double save he made last night. So for anyone that's not seen the game the England under-21s team won the European Championships last night. Curtis Jones scoring a very meaningful header off a Cole Palmer free kick. But in the 
sixth minute, I think the foul was made, the penalty in the 99th. Yeah. Abel Ruiz steps up for a penalty, saved once by James Trafford. The rebound comes in, saved again by James Trafford. And I would think that Lee Colesley would pay £90 million easily for that moment for him as the manager of and that the team. Rest. And the rest. And the rest. So maybe yeah. we should jump into a couple of the tip players in this team. Obviously, Cowell, who was at Brighton last season. Unbelievable. A Chelsea Proper player. player. Proper Thank you, player. Maldini. Maldini yeah, would be He obviously, <laughs> mentioning that penalty, he obviously gave the penalty away. I think it was very soft, to be honest. Um, it's one of those ones. You've seen him given, but minimal contact. And obviously, I think it was Abel Ruiz that got fouled, was obviously playing for the penalty there. So delighted when he missed it. But Colwell, <laughs> yeah. He looks unbelievable. Very composed, good on the ball, strong. Steps up as well from that back line when it, when he knows to, when to go and press a player as well, um, and wins the ball. Just he looks he looks a very good player. So, be interesting to see. It looks like Chelsea are, are holding strong. They want to keep him. Um, I did actually see a, a clip of him on Instagram Live last night, and it, he was with Noni Madueke, um, and Madueke was oh, saying, "Oh." Yes. We're both coming back to Chelsea next year. <laughs> and let's just say Colwell didn't look too too sure about the statement. So um, I'm not sure how Chelsea fans will feel about that. But I think where, wherever he goes, obviously he proved that he's able to play in the Prem with Brighton last season. And I think his value's probably just gone up on the back of this tournament. Because for me, I know, I know Gordon won player of the tournament. And obviously we'll touch on a few of those attacking players in a moment. But... For me, Colwell was probably the, the foundation of the whole team. So, yeah, be interesting to see what happens over the summer. Yeah, and talking of that defence, another player who deserves a shout-out, as well as the captain, Taylor Harwood-Bellis, yeah. who was also yeah. phenomenal in that defence. Another Looks. very solid defender. I think I think he doesn't get quite the love because he's probably not as aesthetic a footballer, I'd say. Like, Colwell's yeah. obviously got those long-range passes. He steps up a bit more where... Whereas um, they've, they've got kind of that dynamic between them. One one goes a bit higher and one plays a bit deeper, which you, you usually see with centre-backs, to be fair. You've got one that's a bit more of the, the aggravator and, and steps up. But another brilliant player. He was obviously, I believe he was at Burnley last season, wasn't he? Um, also on loan from, from Man City, I believe. Yes. Um, yeah. So that's interesting to see how many promising youngsters City have. Obviously, they're... They're kind of pitched as this team that just spend big money, but obviously they've got a few very good young players coming through as well, which is shown by looking at the, the players in that team that are Man City. Obviously, Trafford has gone to Burnley now, but coming from City, you've got Cole Palmer as well. So they've obviously got a promising crop of youngsters as well there. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how and if they get integrated into the team. Obviously, Cole Palmer's been sort of a fringe player recently for them in the first team. But then on the reverse of that, you've got James Trafford being a player that's been sold. It'll be interesting to see what level the City youth players that are highly thought of, and not just these two that are in the England squad, but they've got a few others as well. These three that are in the England squad. Yeah. Um, they've got a few others as well. be interesting to see what happens in the next couple of years with that City team. I think, not just speaking as an Arsenal fan, but I think... Genuinely, Arsenal is the the model to follow now with integrating those young players in. You can see, you know, the the value that's had for us. I, I don't know whether you've seen anything about apparently Arsenal being the second team to have a squad value over a billion. I've seen that, seen a lot about that this weekend um, on Twitter. Yes. But um, <laughs> I obviously take it with a pinch of salt because some of the pl player valuations they they just seem to pluck a figure out of the air. But I think that speaks credit to what Arteta's done with 
with giving the youngsters a real chance. So I think it'll be interesting to see whether City are able to do that successfully um, in the next few years. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned Arsenal there. Um, Arsenal player who's been, I think, out of favour, maybe a little bit unfair because of the injuries mm. and the struggle to work his way back in. But he's just been, he has been on the fringe of Arsenal since his injury in Emil Smith-Rowe, who is another player that had a phenomenal tournament. Yeah, I, I, I do really like Smith-Rowe. He's a little bit underwhelming for me yesterday, if I'm honest, but I think that was just the way the game went. I think yes. England struggled to really get a hold of the game. And, and as I alluded but to before, obviously... Exactly, and finals are a cagey, so mm. the players like Smith Rowe might struggle a bit more to get on the ball. But I think he's he's a very efficient player. He may not be, you know, some at times the most exciting to look at, just because he he plays the pass that won't lose the ball and he keeps it moving. I think with with football nowadays, that's not as appreciated as much, but. He, he definitely keeps that team ticking over and, and he does the same when he's in the Arsenal team as well. He's a very progressive footballer. He always likes to play forward, but very rarely loses the ball. So I, for me yesterday, a little bit disappointing, but obviously they won. That's the main thing. And it'll be, we, we hope he kicks on for, for Arsenal next season. And yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. What did you think? Obviously, you, you mentioned there. Um, obviously the game was a bit later for you, so I don't know whether you managed to catch it all. But um... So as I say, I saw the start of the game fell asleep when I caught up today with the, the bulk of the highlights and things like that. I'd agree with your assessment on Smith-Rowe in the final, but as a tournament, I think it was a tournament that a player like him desperately needed to yeah. get a bit of confidence yeah. back in. And it'll be interesting to see how he attempts to work his way back into the team. Obviously, with new signings coming in with Trossard, who came, came over in January along with a few other players that are in the Smith-Rowe realm, so to speak, of a forward-moving, forward attacking player. But I think he's definitely got the ability, and that's the most important thing. That's what Arteta seems to always look for. He definitely has the ability to work his way back into a team and keep other players out. It's whether that will actually yeah. happen will be something we'll have to look at. Smith-Rowe is an interesting one where he can go on a run, and he has gone on runs, of scoring goals and being an unplayable attacker. And then also he can be, a bit like he was yesterday, he can be a bit anonymous. So it's agreed, an interesting agreed. one. But Another last... player I just wanted to, to touch on was Cameron Archer of Aston Villa. He he looks a really good player. I've not seen much of him at all before this tournament, but I, I've managed to catch a few of the games. And he looks a really good player. And something we'll touch on in, in the next few weeks is FPL. And I was actually doing my FPL yesterday. And uh, oh, yeah. I did debate bringing him in on the back of this tournament. But it's, it's kind of, you don't know what sort of involvement these players now at club level. Will they be used? Will they be trusted? You know, how many minutes will they get? I, I think he's he looks a real a real good player to me. And I think he'd, if he can be integrated in that Villa team, obviously you've got Jacob Ramsey there as well, who's been a real hit for them last season in particular um, and obviously was involved I think he I believe he was injured yesterday for the final but obviously had a big big influence on that tournament for, for the under 21s as well so I think I think for me Cameron Archer will be will be one to watch and obviously as you say about Aston Villa there they're a team we're going to talk about a little bit more in a moment so he's a player we may come back to when we discuss Villa and their prospects for the season but there's one more player that I wanted to bring up as well is Morgan Gibbs-White, who at 23, obviously one of the older players in the squad, 
and I feel like he seemed to play that way as like as much of an elder statesman as you can get in a mm. in an under twenty ones yeah. team. He seemed to be one of the leaders of that team. He seemed to be a pl- player that the others went to, and he showed it as well. He's a player that I really mm. like, Morgan Gibbs. Why? I, I yeah, I was really impressed with him actually. Mm. Um, this tournament, I think with the. The England under 21s, there's a bit of a perception that they're, you know, a bit of a flashy bunch. Obviously, a lot of them have gone for big money, and I think that can inflate the ego a bit. You've got the likes of Gordon, who was 40-odd million, Gibbs White, 40-odd million. You know what I mean? I, f- I think there's the, the kind of idea that they're going to think they're above it, but that didn't seem the case at all. They all seemed a real tight-knit unit. They all wanted, they all went there with the intention to win, and that's what they've done, so... I think, as you say, Gibbs White was was led by example, really, as as you'd expect for one of the older players. Yeah, and you bring up Andy Gordon a couple of times in your points. Obviously, he won Player of the Tournament for the Euros, and I just wanted to drop in, Kieran, for the last three tournaments. Would you like to know, or like to have a guess, if I give you the countries at who won the under twenty ones? Twenty seventeen, it was a player from Spain. Well, I, starting from twenty twenty one, didn't Fabio Vieira win the last one? Okay, well, we, we, we were going to get to that, but yes, Fabio Vieira. Too. It's only because I saw that on Twitter yesterday, so yeah. I thought I'll start with one I actually know, so it doesn't look. Well, like I'm completely clueless. You're on the right vein, though, with an Arsenal midfielder back to twenty seventeen. There, Spanish Arsenal midfielder that won it in twenty seventeen. Former Arsenal midfielder. Oh, former Arsenal. Mid- Midfielder. Hmm. Spain, Real Madrid. Ceballos. Ceballos. Danny Ceballos won player of the tournament in 2017. And it was Fabian Ruiz, who now plays for PSG, who won it in 2019. And as you mentioned, Fabio Vieira in 2021, joined by Anthony Gordon in 2023. Not the <laughs> not the most <laughs> elite of, of proper players there. You, you look at some former there. tournament players. Yeah. I, I'm not sure that's the, the most esteemed company. Obviously, good players, but... Yeah, the last thing I wanted to touch on there before we moved on is of this bunch, who do you think makes it to the England squad? And I don't mean like they get one game and then they're out of favour again. Who do you think of this team will make consistently make the England squad in the next five to ten years? For for me, it's Levy Colwell, to be honest. Um, yeah. he just He just looks so wise beyond his years in that centre-back slot. And I think that is a position England haven't necessarily had amazing talent in the last few, in recent years anyway. Obviously, you look at Maguire still starting. I think that says it all, to be honest. Obviously, there's been players that have perhaps should have had a shout, likes of Tamori that's not really been given a chance despite doing really well for AC Milan. So it will depend whether Southgate or whoever it is that next takes on the reins over the next few years gives them a chance. But for me, Colwell Colwell and Stones, that would be a very solid centre-back partnership for me. I'd I'd like to see that. Who who for you do you think would, uh, would really stand out and definitely have a shot at getting in that? England senior team. I think Colwell is a great shout from yourself. I mentioned him before, Taylor Harwood Bellis, a player that yeah. we'll see in the Premier League potentially this season, see if he, he has that level in him. But yeah. in terms of him in this tournament, him for Burnley, he's a player that could be up there. Another player we've mentioned in recent weeks was uh, Noni Madueke as well, and I think yes. he deserves. A shout out. He he didn't really start. He he started a few games in this tournament. I felt probably 
with the amount of talent England have in attack in that team, it's obviously a tough one to be starting every game. But when he played, he looked very good. And I know, I believe it was the, the first or second podcast we, we mentioned Madueke. So we did. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him in the, the senior fold in the next few years. It just depends whether he's able to kick on now for Chelsea next season. Yeah, he's a player that I've definitely said before that I like the look of. And when we beat Chelsea earlier on this season, he was the only player in that entire team that looked competent, I would yeah. say. So it'd be interesting to see how he gets on the next couple of years. He's someone that we've not really mentioned, has he's not, as you say, not had many minutes in this tournament. But he's a player that definitely going forward could break through. I fully agree yeah. with that. And then... The other three who we've not mentioned, Gibbs White, Anthony Gordon, Emil Smith-Rowe, who are already more senior players or seasoned players in the Premier League who haven't quite made it up at the moment to the senior team. Do you think they will or do you think they're always going to be just on the fringes? For me, it's, it's, it's hard to write them off at this stage in their career, but I just think there's better players, in my opinion. You've got Saka, you've got... Rashford, obviously Kane up top. I know he's getting on a bit now, but you'd imagine definitely for the next couple of tournaments he'll still be a key player. I just I, I like them as players. I'm just not sure with with past England teams potentially, but now we've really got that good crop of players that really look like they could do something. I'm just not sure they're at that next level. But it, it's harsh to write them off at this point. I, I hope for their sake they do. And they could well kick on. But for me, they're probably just outside it. Yeah, that's the danger. Sometimes the danger when you break through to a team when you're young and you're you're not quite at the, say, Saka level, for example, was a young player, broke through, almost jumped the England youth set-up straight into the senior team and was there. Then when you're at a level of the three players we just mentioned, you almost need to work that bit harder when you're known to go from being a known player to being yeah. an England senior team player. There's a bit of a yeah. bit of a gap there at the moment that there's definitely, as you said there, it's definitely outside of the realms of possibility that they break through, but maybe the ceiling is just that little bit too high for, for those three. Not that they're not yeah. phenomenal players. And I think in the case of Anthony Gordon, I think he could have a very good season this week. When we come to talk to Newcastle, in the next few weeks before the season, he'll be someone that will be mentioned. I think it's fair to say that they could potentially be in the fold, but for me, I just don't see yeah. them as starters. But, you know, that could all change. Yeah, definitely. I'd agree with that. And so then talking of Premier League teams, we're going to talk about Newcastle in a few weeks' time. Last weekend, we talked Chelsea and Arsenal. And this week, we're going to talk Spurs. So, Kieran, what do you think of Spurs this season? Obviously, Ange Postacoglu's come in. Shit! <laughs> Thank you. That's all right. <laughs> oh, I, I do it without even thinking. I'm, it's that ingrained in Sorry, me. sorry. Bustle memory there. Bustle memory. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and anyway, apart from the truth there, kids, and Foster Coglu. Yeah, I, I think that's an exciting managerial appointment, to be honest. I'm, I'm quite intrigued to see how he gets on. Obviously, managers have come in with known success previously and not been able to win Spurs a trophy. So whether he's the man to do it, it remains to be seen. But I think, you know, Madison, very good sign. I think... What success will look like for Spurs this season hinges very much on whether Kane stays or goes. Um, 100%. I think Kane, everyone knows he's one of the best strikers in the league, probably has been the best striker in the league until Haaland came in last year, but he's still very much in that bracket. So, obviously, if he goes, it's a massive rebuild for Spurs without their captain, without their main man. 
So obviously, naturally, the, the expectation will drop if he does go to Bayern or obviously elsewhere. Who knows where he might end up. But uh, on the assumption he does stay and they've got Kane, Son, Madison, I still think they need a few defensive signings. So it'll be interesting to see what they do in that space over the next couple of months. For me, I've seen Arsenal do this in previous years and, and wait to bring players in right till the end of the window. And yes. then they struggle to hit the ground running. Mm. So I know we, we've experienced that where we've waited the whole pre-season and then you're bringing in a the player, then they've got to get up to speed. So I'm really glad that Arsenal look to have done their business early this year. So I think that'll be a big one for Spurs about how their season goes. I think if they can bring in a few good defensive players before kind of the bulk of their pre-season kicks off, then, you know, they've got the basis there of a decent squad. I still think they just lack that next bit of something which you can't quite put your finger on, whether that's a mentality thing, whether that's a few world-class players that just... I Yeah, I, I think it's the core of their team, you know, that solid midfielder that galvanises the team and then a big centre-back that obviously Saliba's come in. I, I hate to keep bringing it back to Arsenal, but obviously <laughs> Saliba made a massive difference this season coming in and kind of was a real part of the spine. I think Spurs need that. So... For me, answering the question you gave me before going off on a bit of a ramble there, I think Spurs have to be aiming for top four, but I think if they lose Kane, realistically, I think they'd be happy enough with the top six. Spurs fans may disagree with me on that, but I think when you look at the level, the other teams above, obviously Liverpool have strengthened, Arsenal have strengthened, City will inevitably strengthen, United, you'd expect them to make a couple of signings, Chelsea obviously kick on now with the signings they made with Poch coming in. So it's really competitive up there. And that's without even mentioning the likes of your Brightons, your Villas, who obviously we're going to touch on in a sec. But uh, I, for me, I think top six. But if they keep Kane, they've got to try and get top four because surely he's not going to stay much longer, especially if they're not in the Champions League. Yeah, so you mentioned Kane there. For you personally, not so much what do you think he should do, because I would say the opinion of most people outside of Spurs, even maybe including some Spurs fans, is obvious. What do you think will happen? Do you think he'll stay? I really don't know, to be honest. I really don't know. I think it depends who comes in. I really could see him at United, to be honest. But I'm, I really don't know. I think it depends who comes in for him, what the offer is. He's obviously massively risking his legacy at Spurs if he leaves. So he has to be successful if he leaves. There's no other option. Look at Van Persie. If you leave, you have to win a Prem. Van Persie left, won a Prem, and now United fans love him, but Arsenal fans hate him. You have to go to a fan base where yeah. you know, you're, you're putting yourself in the bracket of... Obviously, it's going to be tough to be, I guess, a legend in a couple of years. He's, what, 30 now? So Is that you've obviously got less to... time. Yeah, is that not why he'd go to Bayern over a United though? Because if you go to another Premier League team, that's when, you, as you say, your legacy for the team you were born into, so to speak, is at risk. But if he goes to a Bayern, the majority of Spurs fans aren't going to care, or definitely not as much as if he goes to yeah. United. I think that Prem top scorer is just too elusive, and he wants yes, he wants it. Thing. That will cement his legacy if he beats that whilst winning a Prem. You can't really say a lot. He's he's down in 
in the Hall of Fame of football if he's a you know what I mean he he I think he just he needs that prem. I think United That's would be a good fit. Not necessarily he'd win a prem with United, but who else? You know what I mean? Who else does it leave? He's not going to go to another London club because he'll be absolutely hated. It only really leaves United because City are obviously not going to... Obviously, they were linked to him previously and a few years ago, but now they've got Haaland, they won't be looking there. So I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I, I think he'll definitely be tempted to stay purely so he goes down as a Spurs legend. But if he wants to be a Premier League legend, I think the Premier League would just consolidate that and I think United would probably be a good fit for him but whether they've got the squad to win a Premier League at the moment I also doubt that so interesting decision for him this summer yeah the question with Kane and you touched on it a small bit there is what's more important to him and how would he see his legacy between becoming the Premier League top scorer without winning a trophy or without winning the Premier League definitely or winning trophies say he goes to Bayern wins a a Bundesliga potentially wins a Champions League but doesn't quite break that record in the Premier League would he see that as more successful or for him is that individual record more important that might be his decision because I think everyone has their own ideas obviously a big talking point with Kane has always been yes you can have all these individual individual honours but if you don't win a trophy or don't win an important trophy, it, mean, it means nothing. That'll always undercut your legacy. It's like the thing with Messi, where people who discounted Messi always said, "Yeah, but he's not won a World Cup. Yeah, he's not won an international trophy. Ronaldo's won the Euros, and then he's now won a World Cup, and that's ended all arguments." That's kind yeah. of the thing hanging over Kane. There's not saying he's never going to be remembered as a phenomenal player. He is, but the argument is. If he hasn't won an important trophy, how are you going to put him above someone else who has led their team to trophies as well as being a top scorer? Yeah, that's why for me, just personal opinion, but going to Bayern and winning a few pointless Bundesligas is not really going to do anything. I think stay in the Prem, get that all-time top scorer record, and if you win a Prem at the same time, that cements your legacy. So... What what club that is that he'd go to, I'm not 100% sure. But I think that's, for me, That's if he's going to just go to Bayern and win a few Bundesligas, he's, he may as well just stay at Spurs for me. Do you think? They can, win a, Why is that? they can win a Bundesliga without him. I don't think him having a couple of Bundesliga titles, obviously if they won like a Champions League, that's a completely different conversation. And that's but, a more of a possibility than if he, even if he went to United, they're unlikely to win a Champions League. I'm not going to say they're not going to, nothing's impossible, but they're unlikely at the moment to win a Champions League. Bayern have shown year on year that they'll be at the top end of the Champions League. Yeah. Yeah, for me, they're a bit further away nowadays, though. I think Are they Kane, not closer Kane, when Kane, they have Kane, though? Would yeah. they not be closer if they had Kane? They'll be closer. I still just don't think they'll be enough. Like, Kane can go into a club, galvanise them and win them trophies. Bundes, like The Bundesliga is a buy-in only competition. I know Dortmund ran it close last year and should have really won it on the last day. But that's not really the point. The point is Bayern can win it year on year without Kane. I don't think that really does anything for him. Obviously for him personally it's nice to win a couple of trophies, but in t- if we're talking about legacy for Kane, you don't think that that's would a be separate included. conversation. Not for me. Not for me. 
Others may disagree, which is fair enough, but not for me. I think him staying in the Prem and breaking that record and winning a Prem at the same time, it should be his, his motivation for me. Yeah. But on, on that note, you say about legacy, you say about Bayern walking the Bundesliga. To draw a comparison with Haaland, so City have won the Premier League. What is it now, five of the last six? Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. So Haaland's Something come over. along those lines. Yeah, Haaland's come over. He has been in a team that has all but walked the league. Obviously, Arsenal run them close, to draw that Dortmund comparison. Arsenal run them close, yeah. but they didn't win it. Haaland scored lots of goals and won a trophy. What's the difference beside country to that and what would happen with Bayern Munich? Champions League the aside, Champions League. They won the treble. He elevated them to a new level and... That team will go down in the history books as the second ever English team to win a treble. So, if Kane if Kane went in and won Bayern a treble, that's a different conversation. But if he purely was top scorer in the Bundesliga, if Haaland came in, I but understand is it only the point. Uh, is it only the Champions uh, League that makes the Haaland thing legacy making, or if they didn't win the Champions League, would that still be a a feather to Haaland's cap. Well, I think it's it's a hard comparison because Haaland's at a completely different end of his career. He's likely to now win probably multiple Premier Leagues with City. So he'll yeah. be the one that kind of brought them on that run, so to speak. Yeah, that's so a I think, comparison. I think it's well, different. I think, But in fairness, City obviously had lost the likes of Aguero. We can like never they needed, him. Yeah, can never replace him. They needed that that main man, so I think Haaland came in to fill that void. For me, it's just Bayern already. They're winning the Bundesliga for me. <laughs> I, 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 others may say it with City, but I feel like the Prem. Well, we like to think it's a bit more unpredictable. History would say it's probably not at the minute because, as you say, City have, it, have won. Yeah, it's a unpredictable lot from second down. Yeah. Yeah. True. Yeah, yeah I, I I get the point, but for me, it just wouldn't really do much for Kane to go and win a couple of yeah. Bundesliga. So, if he so wins a Champions League as well, it's a different story. But so if I was if I was him, I would rather stay in the Prem, break the record, and try and go to a team that are going to push the title close and potentially win it. The person you mentioned alongside Kane, though, in Son. The question with Son this season is: Will he bounce back? He was quite poor last season. He didn't mm. really make an impact on Tottenham at all across their season and I think his poor performances were one of the reasons they finished as low as they did. Do you think he's going to return to form this season? I think Madison will make a massive difference if I'm yeah. being honest. I think a creative midfielder they've not had since Ericsson left in all honesty. Um, so I think having that facilitator in midfield creating chances it's not just on Kane and Son. I know Kulisevsky as well has been been decent for them. He's struggled a bit with injury as well, but he's looked a decent player when he has played. But I think they just lack a midfielder that actually creates chances and they've not had that. So I think, obviously, I've, I believe Spurs have made it permanent with Kulisevsky now. So yes, that, they have. That kind of, yeah, that front four unit of Song, Kane, Kulisevsky and Madison will be... It's dangerous. In, it'll be an, interesting, I think. Yeah. They look be a better team with Kulisevsky in as well. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I, I think I think Madison will make a big difference. But yeah, it will be interesting to see if Son does bounce back. But I, there's no doubt in his quality. And then to, to sum up Spurs there, Kiz. So success, do you want to split it with Kane and without Kane? So I think we think? should. 
So what do you think? I'd say if Kane stays top four on a trophy, it has to be the aim for Spurs every year because it's been so long they've not won one. And Champions League should be the aim if they've got Kane, who's realistically the second best striker in the league. Now Haaland's there, but definitely up there with Haaland. I think top four on a trophy. If Kane leaves, I think top six in a trophy. They still have to aim for a trophy, of course, because as I said, they need to break that drought. But I think without Kane, realistically, it's a bit more of a of a rebuild. Yeah, I, what I are would, your thoughts on that? I would agree with that. I think they should be even with even with Kane staying. I think they're in a rebuilding year, a bit like where Chelsea may be next season, where Arsenal have been in the last couple of seasons, where Liverpool ended up being this season, where it gets to a point that if you finish in the top six in a very competitive year, as long as there is forward progression there and it's not wallowing out into sixth, it's more yeah. there is clear forward progression. I think a top six finish and, as you said, domestic trophy would be success for the first season under Postacoglu as long as there is clear progression. As long as it's yeah. like, oh, one or two more players next season with this squad plus this position, this position, if they get to that by the end of the year, and that's not just pie in the sky thinking, that would be, yeah. maybe, maybe successful is a bit strong, but positive. Yeah, I think progression for Spurs as well, as you say, it's about the playing style as well. Yes. Spurs fans, I think, would agree that they've not been the prettiest to watch in recent years, and they want to play that good football, and they have the players now to do it. So I think with the new manager coming in, it's can he progress them in that, in that way as well, and actually get them back playing some attractive football. And based on the way Postacoglu's been with Celtic, the way yeah. Postacoglu has been on my current side of the world in Australia, he yeah. is loved over here. He, like, the, the decision of him going to Spurs was so positively received over here because people just want the best for him. There is yeah. that level of loved based on what he did in the Australian game. That And I really, I don't want him to do well because he's with Spurs, obviously, but he's a guy who the way he's gone up in football is someone I really want to do well in football. Unfortunately, yeah. the Spurs, and that, that is what yeah. it is. But I think he's someone that could make the Spurs team play the way you were mentioning there. Yeah, I was going to say he seems a real likeable guy, but yeah. after the first North London derby, I'm sure <laughs> that'll be taken oh, when he's But yeah, so that's Tottenham. That's what we expect from Tottenham this season. And we've grouped the next two teams together based on how they were last season, where they finished and where they look to be going this year is we've got Brighton and Villa together because yeah. both teams finished in European places, season just gone. So they're now going to be coping with a European schedule. How will they deal with that while also trying to replicate their success this year? So we'll open that up as the first question, Kiers. You can take take your shot on either team. Is How do you think they'll cope with Europe alongside their Premier League run? Yeah, I'll, I'll go with Brighton first because... I think they get written off every year and I'm ashamed to admit I had them down for relegation the season just gone. So I think no matter how many plays they lose, obviously they've lost McAllister now, potentially, obviously they had Colwell last season, but there's no guarantees they're going to get him back for next season and it's looking more and more likely Chelsea will keep him. They do seem to get written off and then they just get a random Colombian wonder kid to come through and just galvanises the team again. So, you know, if their talent ID is anything to go by, I'm sure they'll be absolutely fine. It's just whether they have the depth to cope with that extra load on the fixtures 
is another point. But That's... I don't think I'm in any any position to speak on Brighton, <laughs> considering I had them down for relegation last season. So, yeah, I think Brighton, the expectations are always not sky high, but they always seem to exceed them. Now they've probably got a bit more expectation on them. It will be interesting to see how they cope with that. Yeah, 100%. As you say, the thing with Brighton is, every year, you're like, oh, they have lost three of their biggest players, or currently this summer, one of their biggest players. How are they ever going to recover? How are they ever going to come back? And just somehow, with the talent ID they have at that club, they always bounce, well, I wouldn't even say bounce back, they always go further. They all, they've been progressing yeah. year on year with this team and their quality of their talent ID is phenomenal for the players they've got coming in players they've had coming in and the way they progress year on year it's the thing with this season is how will they combine that with a European schedule yeah yeah, it will be interesting I think it's a tough one to call Um, Deserby's a top top manager so I've got no doubts he'll be able to get the best out of that team again be interesting to see whether they do sign a few replacements. I know Milner's come in. They look to potentially want to be getting Colwell back, which would be massive if they do manage to yes. to kind of get him back in. I think that will change my opinion massively. Similar to the to with and without Kane, we might have to do a with and without Colwell <laughs> based on how highly we were raving about him in the in the first bit of the show. So yeah, I, I think it's tough it's tough to put restrictions on what would be successful Obviously, now they're up in the European places, they'd want to stay up there. So I think if we're saying out and out, that would be a success if they come top seven again and they stay in Europe. Obviously, they'll want to go deep into the Europa League as well. So that'll be interesting to see how well they do in that. That'll probably be a big factor in what's deemed a successful season. I think they can go quarters, semis, even finals of that, maybe even win it, then... Obviously, that would be a successful season. But I think realistically, another top seven finish and going deep into those later stages of the Europa would be successful for me, particularly with losing McAllister. Yeah, I I would say in agreement with you there. The interesting thing that West Ham brought to the forefront this year is Hmm. how do you balance or how do you look at your league position compared to cup progression? Because yeah. as they stayed up and stayed up comfortably by the end, not a single West Ham fan will look at last season as a failure. Yeah. Because winning the Conference League counteracted all of that. But if they'd have lost yeah. that final, then you look at their league position and the way they ended their season very, very different. And that's yeah. sometimes the balance with these mid-table, I won't say mid-table clubs, because that's kind of where they are. And it's not yeah. a derogatory not meant as a derogatory statement, it's just where they finish. With these mid-table clubs, that's a difficult thing, is where to put, which basket to put your eggs in. And I think, I think West Ham the showed the benefit. As well. Yeah, I think, as you say, West Ham showed the benefit of going all out on, on the European competition. A lot of West Ham fans were calling for Moyes out all, all season because of the league. But then obviously, as you say, completely counteracted by that cup success. So obviously, it's, it's hard to, say out and out what's a success but I think if they can go deep into that Europa League and then do decently in the league as well that will be successful for them with Brighton and we'll jump on to Villa in a moment but with Brighton and in fact I'll bring Villa in as well for both these teams we use West Ham as a comparison there would a European semi-final or final losing not winning the trophy but they get to the semi-final or the final and they finish 
say, 11. Is that a success? I, for me, I think that would be a decent season. Probably success would be a bit of an overstatement because of the disappointment that will obviously lead to. But for looking on it, looking at it now with no context to how that cup run would go, that's a decent season for me. Showing you can compete with, you know, the top European teams. The Europa League's no mugs competition. There's some really good sides in there. You know what I mean? To get to a semi or a final, they'd have to beat some big teams. So for me, for Brighton and Villa, showing that they can p- compete on that front and getting a few big wins, the confidence that would do for the players to then go again for the next season would be a good thing. But obviously saying it's a success, it come in 11th with the disappointment of losing in a semi or a final, at the time, it would just be all negative. But looking at it from yeah. the start of the season, for me, that that's a decent season. Yeah, it would be positive rather than successful. Yeah, yeah, exactly that, exactly yeah. that. And that point that you made there is really interesting. And Arsenal became victims to it last season. It's that thing of where you look at the start of the season, what are your aim? It fluctuates so much throughout a season. Mm. So I think if you offered both these sets of clubs fans that at the start of the season, they'd be like, oh, yeah, I'd take a European final. I may not win, but I'd take a European final and then still staying in the Premier League. In the moment, it then becomes very, very different. And that's the interesting difference and where you look at and what where you look at these things of your aims at the start of the season and then where you are at the end and how that fluctuates and what part of that do you actually analyze yeah i think you can definitely be victims of your own success can't you yes, so 100% so that's definitely something to note just going on to villa then obviously similar situation europa conference league rather than europa league for them again questions over potentially squad depth they've obviously signed Tielemans and I believe Pau Torres is over the line now. Did we get a here we go confirmed on that? I think I we might have done so. I don't think it's been confirmed, but it's okay. right on the edge. It's looking very likely anyway. Yeah. So a couple of, of good signings there to, as we mentioned with the importance of doing early business, I think that's a, a big factor there as well. You've got some talented players in that squad already. Mings is obviously a solid centre-back. He's had a few question marks over him with... A few mistakes there, but he's no doubt a decent centre-back. You've got Ollie Watkins, who had his best Prem season last season by quite a distance. You've got the likes of a few young players, Jacob Ramsey, quality midfielder, Cameron Archer coming through next season. So I think they're a bit of an unknown outfit, to be honest. They obviously done very well with Emery last season. It's whether they can kick on now to that that next step and that's the thing I think with both both them and Brighton's continue to group these teams together as we have and that's the thing they're now here at these different European competitions maybe Villa's progression would be to go into the Europa League Brighton would look to climb the table would be the only difference between both clubs there potentially but both of them they're now on the verge of multiple successful seasons if they can get another season in Europe that tends to snowball you look at clubs that just somehow once they're I think we're going to talk about Newcastle in the next couple of weeks. I think they're another club that if they get a second season in the Champions League, it then tends to snowball and you somehow end up again up near the top, up near those European competitions again. Like West Ham, since they won the Conference League, this is now their third season in a row in European competition. Is that correct? Third season? I believe so, yeah. So it's that, it's that same thing. You end up snowballing because you have already... In previous seasons, push yourself back, and so that I would say would be success. Is another top seven finish for both clubs would be yeah. be my position. If they can instead I'd... win those competitions, then again success. But I think, as we said before, 
a semi-final and a lower table finish, positive, not success. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think Villa, with the Conference League, is obviously a more winnable competition. Look at West Ham last season. I think that will really give them a positive indication they can definitely go far in it, if not win it. So I think Villa should focus on that Conference League next season for me because it's definitely winnable. If you look at West Ham's route to the final, fair enough, there was a there was a couple of tough enough games in there. Definitely had a good chance. So I yeah, think for me, Villa word. should focus on that. Yeah. yeah, so we'll see how that goes on. A slightly longer first half of the show there. Some really interesting chat about the coming season and about a range of clubs and players. So coming up next, we'll create another five-a-side tip. So this is the part of the show where myself and Kieran will have picked a topic and then we'll have five players that we will choose for our respective teams and then together we will create a five-a-side to throw out onto the cages and pitches near you on a Wednesday evening. <laughs> Last episode that we did our five-a-side on, we chose our nostalgia five-a-side and this week it is the better for country than they were for their club team. So, Kieran, this is one that you chose. We'd like to have a little explainer of what these selections are. Yeah, so I think originally we we were going to go for good for the country, not for the club, but I think that narrowed it down a lot more. I think, obviously, players that have been very good for their country are likely to be decent at club level as well. So we went for, in the end, better for country rather than club. So it kind of gives us a bit more scope for picking players. For me, I think it was a bit more recent memory so it's bulk of my bulk of picks is more current players and then a couple of players that have retired recently I don't know what you went for yourself but I think I probably had a bit of recency bias which is probably more due to my my bad memory in in these older age years (laughs) that we're getting into now yeah the mind the memory's gone so yeah so I'm, I'm very similar in that I think the oldest player I have is maybe mid 40s Retired in the last five five or so years, kind of thing. Okay. Is that the old yeah. the oldest player I've got? And even them, I remember them from like twenty tens, kind of thing. But yeah. which we'll get into. But yeah, same as you. It's a lot of semi recent players or recent players in a couple of cases. Going into so, to goalkeeper, pick them. I'll I'll throw mine out there first. And for me, this is a player that is quite clearly much better for country <laughs> than club. It's not a keeper. I rate at all at club level, but for some reason, him and his little arms always before seem you, to do it for England. Before you say it, Chris, I, th- I think I have exactly the same keeper. All right, so should we, should we do it on the count of three? We're definitely going to time this wrong, but let's do it. I oh, know. One, two, three, Jordan Pickford. Jordan Pickford. Yeah, not, I think he was the obvious pick. with that level of, of <laughs> yeah. sync. We're not quite higher. We're JLS just yet. There's a bit of practice. We'll uh, get there. We'll get there. Practice makes perfect. We've got a little tour coming soon. So, uh, <laughs> in all JLS the, levels will be reached. Yeah, all of the parks near you, me and Kieran, a <laughs> bottle of vodka, screaming the songs of JLS. <laughs> Sounds like a good Friday night, that does. I can't wait. <laughs> I, think, I think a lot of England fans would probably agree with that pick. He always seems to perform for England. There was a lot of debate at the yeah. last tournament whether Pickford should start, but I think he quite quickly silence the critics once again always been a good player for England can't remember a mistake he's really made for England and then you compare that with club level where he just seems completely erratic making rash decisions and just a bit a bit of head loss usually so yeah I, I went Pickford 
and I'm sure your reasons are probably fairly similar on that one. Yeah, I'll, I'll just read out the, the first two notes I have here for Pickford. One, inconsistent for Everton. Two, yeah. safe hands for England. And that just kind of sums yeah. it up with Pickford. As you say, every single tournament, and I, in the going to the last World Cup, I was just as much of a, a proponent of this as other people. It's like, Ramsdale should start, or before that, Nick Pope and other players. Dean Henderson, I'm, sh- I'm sure, before the Euros got this shout as well. And every time he goes out there for England, and he just becomes a totally different player. And that's very much what this yeah. team is, is players that are good at best for their club. And then they go to their country, and they just become totally different players. And the Pickford for England is a completely different animal to the one that plays forever. Definitely. I don't know what formation you went for this week. I think last time we done it, we'd both gone for a sort of... 1-1, one, one. I think you went for a 1-1-3 one, one, and I'd gone I for a 1-1-1-2. One, 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 so I've gone for a 1-1-1-2 one, 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 again. My defender pick is Benjamin Pavard. Oh, I like that a lot. Do you want to tell us why? So, yeah, so for me, at World Cups and major tournaments with France, he just looks unplayable. I know there's that absolute wonder goal he scored on the <laughs> sidewinder of the Argentina, I believe was the... Was it the 2018 World Cup? It was. Last 16, I think it was. They beat Argentina 4-3. I know he, he's a good... As, as I said at kind of the start of this this segment, he's a good player at club level. I'm not saying he's he's a bad player, but he just seems to be on a different level for France. And I think the position at right back for France suits him a bit better than, than his role at club level as well. Yeah, I think that's, that's fair enough. I think it's a very good shout. It's just another one of those things of they kind of become talked about and they do things that are talked about at a country level, which Pavard is a perfect example of, that they just don't quite do for their club. He's at Bayern, so he's not a bad player. That's not no, what I'm saying. Not. But no. he's just he just seems at a higher level for France for me. Every time I've seen him play at France, he just looks a, a top quality right back. Yeah, I can't I can't argue with it being an idea, but I will, of course, argue against it being our joint pick. Going up against that, I've got Johnny Heitinger for the okay. Netherlands. Obviously played for Ajax previously, for Everton, which we remember the most being Premier League. And then for the Netherlands, a first name on the team sheet level player for so many years was a big part of that team that came second in the World Cup. Just a player that was like, oh, oh yeah, Johnny Johnny Heitinger, decent enough defender. And then you put him in that Netherlands team and it's very difficult player to replace, to, to move out of that team during those years from like 2004 kind of time until 20. 10, 2012? No, I think he was at the. That's a fair point. Yeah. So, that, so Heisinger would be, would be my shot for that one. I remember him being very slow in the Prem. I think he was at Fulham as well, I believe. And he was. He was. <laughs> I remember him coming up against us a few times and he just looked like he was treading water half the time. Solid. Solid for Holland as well. So Very solid for Holland. So, there we so, go. Do you want us to us your number three? Yeah, so I've gone one midfielder, um, and the player I've gone for is actually Scott McTominay. Okay. So he's a player that seems unplayable for Scotland, and I think it's probably because he's one of the go-tos as the one of the main players. Mm. Obviously, at United, he has been quite a key part of their squad. Maybe not starter for every single game, although he has started quite a quite a bulk of games when they had the the infamous McFred partnership um, <laughs> what, what a double and Fred in the middle <laughs> oh, absolute oh. clowns but um, I think he's 
slightly more advanced role. Um, he's got a bit more freedom in the middle and he scores quite a few goals for Scotland as well. I think he just thrives off being that main man for them. I think at club level with United, he's probably a bit lower on confidence, probably because of the bashing he gets from the fans when he when he drops a stinker and maybe the added pressure he feels. But for me, McTominay's definitely a player that's that's better at country level than club level. Yeah, I think what you sometimes see, and I think it works both ways round, is for players that, like in the case of Scott McTominay, their club is a massive team, and then their country in the realms of football are on the lower level. So they can stand, yeah. it's, it's the whole big fish in a small pond, small, fo- small fish in a big pond kind of situation. Yeah. And I think it works both ways. Like Pickford, for example, for Everton, Everton aren't a small club by any means, but in terms of the Premier League, their finishes have been, in recent years, bottom bottom end of the table. And then England, a club that has, in recent years, reached the European Championship final, um, a close, close quarterfinal loss to France last year in the World Cup. It's just a different level. And it, it works similar ways, backwards and forwards, I find. Yeah, so my number four, my number three, sorry, jumping ahead. My number three is Asamoah Gyan. Okay, I like it. Yeah, so I've gone, I've gone very much similar to last time, a one-one-three. So we've got Asamoah yeah. Gyan, who for Ghana is unplayable. Or, yeah, or was a star player. I don't think does just justice to the level of player that Gyan was when he put on a Ghana shirt. He's their all-time top goal scorer. He is the golden child of Ghanaian football. Like I think yeah. if you speak to any Ghanaian and ask them to name a Ghanaian footballer, Jan, Jan will be one of the first players on that list for a very clear yeah. reason. And then you compare that to, to him at club level, a few games for, like a season for Sunderland, a few seasons for Sunderland. Or like a yeah, season I, for I was going to say, I remember, I remember him at Sunderland. Yeah, he, he was decent, but I definitely agree with you there. He yeah, was on a different levels. level for Ghana. Yeah. He's the main man, the go-to. He kind of carried them on his back for a couple of those yeah. World Cup good runs they had. Yeah, two two separate seasons he was at Sunderland for. He was there for one season, 2010-2011, and then he went back there on loan 2011-2012. Uh, yeah, good pick. I like that. I like that. Here's for your number four. So, number four, I've actually gone Miroslav Closer. Okay, he was so, a, he was one of my honourable mentions, was Closer. Was he? Okay. And again, I just want to re-emphasise, this is better for country than club, not good yeah. at club level, because I know he done yeah. well at club level. Like I, I think Lazio was probably his longest spell, and he did score a lot of goals there. But for Germany, it's just a different level. I believe he holds the record for most World Cup goals as well. He does indeed. Does indeed. I believe so. He just always turned up at, at the tour, at the big tournaments, the Euros, the World Cups. He just seemed to be ever present on that top scorers list throughout the tournament. And sometimes it would get to the end of the tournament, you'd think he's just sort of crept his way on there. But he just he just scores goals. He he does what he's there to do. Probably a talisman for Germany in one of their kind of golden eras of of German players that obviously Germany in recent years haven't been at the level we've known them to be over the years but I think probably the biggest memory for me was was the infamous ghost goal the England of oh. when Lampard and I remember watching that with you Con uh, around <laughs> yours and us trying to recreate it around the oh. park 
how it should have been. Um, how it should have been. So a, a, a painful memory, that one, yeah, but closer was, was just an integral yeah. part of that Germany team. Yeah, with that, it was me and Kieran stood at a patch of grass commentating how we believed the England-Germany game should have gone, rewriting history <laughs> as, as two, two young boys there. How, how that game was meant to have gone and not the soul-crushing situation Robbed. it turned out to be. Right, I, don't, I don't know if battered would be the word that I'd choose. <laughs> uh, but it's funny you mention Closer there as your number four, a player that was decent at club level but was just a different animal internationally for Germany, scored a lot of goals for Germany, a lot of appearances for Germany, won the World Cup with Germany, I chose Lukas Podolski. Okay, okay. Interesting. Arsenal Arsenal man thrown in there. Yeah, he has the third most goals for Germany all time. He has the third most okay. caps for Germany all time. Alongside closer, he won the World Cup with Germany. And then you compare that to, I think the best way to describe Podolski at almost every club he's been at is fan favourite. Yeah. Like, he's been really, like, being Arsenal fans, which we only mentioned one or twice on this podcast, so you may have, may have missed it. But being Arsenal fans, he's a player that is in, has a real special place in our heart. But when you actually look at his track record, it's nothing to write home about. It's, like, decent, there's some memorable moments in there, but that's the extent. When you look at his German record, it's just, in comparison, it blows it up the water. Yeah, I think, as you say, him being a fan favourite probably tinges my memory of him because I probably think of him as better than he actually yeah, was at Arsenal because exactly um, he was so lovable and he did score a few absolute rockets as well in his time I remember the infamous Giroud flick to Podolski combination oh. and Podolski would just twat one in top bins with his left foot beautiful yeah that's the thing that's what that might and I'm, I'm probably not meant to make points against myself but that might push him a little bit out because yeah. there are those real big memorable moments for him at club level, but I still feel like what he did at country level still supersedes all of them. When you're in the top three for appearances and goals, a couple of memorable goals for your club, but not actually doing a whole heap for them, the scales are, are tilted towards the country. Weirdly, a couple of other plays I had thought about was Andre Schürrle and Mario Goetze as well. So I think there's a real German a theme German in there theme. of players yeah. that are better. Maybe maybe the Germans are sharp for their country, but but there you go. My my last pick then um, f- to to complete my my fiver side of players better for country than club is Gareth Bale. So I think this was a slightly harsh one. Oh, I don't um, know, kids. I think. The level he's at for Wales is just a different level. And <clears throat> obviously, he was a great player for Real Madrid, but he just wasn't he wasn't the go-to man. And I yeah. think you could tell, whenever he played for Wales, he upped his game another level. He just went up to that world-class bracket. And don't get me wrong, he had some great games for, for Madrid. But I think over the course of his career, when you look at it, Gareth Bale for Wales is different to Gareth Bale of Real Madrid for me. Do you think that's another small fish, big pond situation that we're talking about? Scott I think Thomas? so. I think so. As you say, some players just thrive being the key man. 
I think they just elevate their game. And some players, when when it's for your country, it just means more, doesn't it? So if you're a bit out of favour at your club, you know, you're getting a bit of stick from the fans. It's just different at a country yeah. level. I know you can still get stick, but when you're a real loved player, like your Gareth Bales, like your McTominay's, it, it's just different. It's just different. Yeah. I think in an even more of a sense than Podolski, I think what... Bale did at club level and maybe pushes him out. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think it was yeah. a bit more of a con, a contentious one, but yeah. I just he was at a different level, but still yeah. world class for. for I, I, under, I understand it. I understand where you're coming from, but I think when you compare the two, like he scored, he scored an overhead kick in a Champions League final. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That he that he then won. Podolski did as well, didn't he? Did we win in 2006? Podolski scored a hat-trick, didn't he? Oh, he did, yeah. He scored, he scored Beat a Barca 3-2. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. That's how I'm remembering it. <laughs> yeah. We'll say no more on that. That's how I remember it as well. Yeah. Layman in goal. The whole game. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. Why'd you have to bring that up? It's not even... Oh, no. I'm sorry. It seems a theme every week well, we're bringing up that bloody we're 2006 have, Champions League. We're having a lovely conversation League. there. <laughs> Arsenal, we're talking about a Spurs player. Talking about Real Madrid, the two rivals of both of the clubs, and then you bring up <laughs> one of the worst days of our football in life. I do apologise. I do apologise. To, to flip the conversation, who have you got as your last pick? I have gone for, as he's going up against Bale as well, I think it's very much a battle that he's going to win in this this specific topic. I've gone for Kaisuke Hon for Japan. Okay, yeah, yeah. And it, whenever you think of the World Cups in the sort of early, early 10, so 2010, 2014, Japan, Honda, my argument is done. Yeah. I don't, I have, I have points about how he is for Japan, how he was for Milan and at his club level, but I don't think I need to. I just, all I need to say is Honda for Japan, and my argument is one. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd have to agree on that one. He was an ever-present in that Japan team, yeah, and was always always probably the standout player for them, so I think that's that sums that one up. So, so yeah. then, on to the hard part. Yeah. Do you want to run down your team very quickly? Yeah, so in goal, I'd Pickford, at the back, Benjamin Pavard, in the centre-mid slot, Scott McTominay, and then forwards I'd gone Miroslav Closer and Gareth Bale. Fantastic and I went for Pickford as well so no conversation on goalkeeper needed I went for Johnny Heitinger Asamoah Gyan, Lucas Podolski and Kaisuke Honda Starting so, at the back then. Pickford, Pickford straight obviously away goal. Done. straight in So we've got Johnny Heitinger against Benjamin Pavard <laughs> What a battle In all fairness, I, as soon as you said Heitinger I was inclined to put in him. I think Pavard it's a little harsh on him at club level. I just think he's a level above for France, but I still think he's a good player at club level. So I think my memory of Heitinger was, as you said, not good at all, really, at club level. He was treading water every time I saw him play, but he was a solid <laughs> player. I think it might be because of the, the deeper Holland back line, perhaps, and him being a slower player, but I think it's fair enough to put to put Heitinger in. Heitinger has made the squad. So up next, We'd, may, we'd maybe list all three together, I think. Jan, Podolski yeah. and Honda. McTominay, Closer and Bale. As we discussed there, yeah. I, think the, I think Honda wins the, the Bale battle. Yeah. I, I'm going to fight on You're, the other two. I, yeah. I think Closer in particular, 
if you look at his record for, for Germany, but he was just a complete different animal. And realistically, he should have been one of the best strikers in the world when you look at him for Germany, but he just never quite reached that level at club level for me. Yeah, I think the, it's an interesting battle, the one we've got here close to Podolski, because you can say very similar points for both of them. Yeah. I'd like to argue against you. I really would like, like to make this a fight, like I'm going to do for Asamoah Gyan in a moment. But I think in this in this straight off comparison, I think closer does take the edge because yeah, of I... because of his scoring record compared to how he was at club level. I think he does take it because Podolski at least has the fan favourite memorable side to it as well that you can throw yeah. in. So I think I think for me, does yeah. take it. For me, Podolski was better with Germany, but I just don't think to the extent closer yes. was better, much better for Germany than club level for yeah, me. I'd agree with that. So, so in this one, four four straightforward choices, but now for the battle that everybody came for: <laughs> Jan versus McTominay. Jan, mate, done. That that'd be a good scrap. Oh no! If it's a straight scrap, I reckon McTominay would have it. Round, round the back I don't know. I think the... Jan's got a bit of a bit of fire in his in his belly. A bit of scrappy energy, uh, but the the Scottish will to batter someone, I think, might <laughs> might Even just feel... They battle every batter everything. They batter everything going. They love it. So a, a Ghanaian goal scorer will be nothing for him, I reckon. But fortunately, <laughs> it is not a straight scrap. It's talking about who was better for their country than they were for their club. And h- how you're going to battle this, Kieran, is going to be interesting to me. I'm, I'm loaded. It's going to be a tough one. It's going to be a tough one. <laughs> my, my argument for McTominay is how poor he's been in a lot of United games and, and his level of mistakes that he makes. The thing that goes against McTominay in this is Scotland haven't had any real success. Yeah. Whereas you look at Ghana, they've gone deep into competitions with Jan as the main man, which kind of fights his corner a bit more but I just think the disparity between yeah. McTominay and Scotland yeah I know it, it's just <laughs> wow fuck you <laughs> fuck you that was a that was a phenomenal pun and I will not have your your passive aggressive sliding that to one side how dare you we're, we're not taking that we're, we're skipping we're, we're skipping quickly over these shitty puns this week I know what this episode is being called straight away. The main jab. Done. I've, I've got to try and think of a McTominay pun now in, in its place. Good luck. Well, you're yeah, g- <laughs> Give me a week. I'll come back next week come on that one. Ne- next week, I'll let you open the podcast with a McTominay pun. Be the, first thing I want, the first thing I want from you next week is I don't even want... When I say, hi, Kieran, how's it going? I don't want, oh, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, we'll be good. No, I want... <laughs> McTominay pub straight out the back. Here's Scuddy, <laughs> rather than a here's Johnny. That'll be my opener. Anyway, enough for teasers for next week. McTominay, shit at United, good at Scotland. That's my wrap-up argument on that one. Yeah, on to the main I, Jan. The main, see? There you go. <laughs> it's he's, catching he's on. It's catching on. <laughs> They'll all be saying it. They'll be walking down the streets of Ghana. I really should know a Ghanaian city off the top of my head, but I don't. Every street in Ghana... Just everywhere. Everywhere. All of of it, mate. The record he has for Ghana, he is their all-time top scorer. And yet, the best you can think of him at club level was, with all due respect, a few games for Sunderland. Yeah. 
You know what? I'll I'll give you I'll give you Jan. I'll give you Jan. I think the success of Garner puts him ahead of McTominay for me. Yeah, so we'll round it up then. So this week's five aside, joining the cages with the nostalgia five aside, the better for their country than they were for their club. In goal, we have Jordan Pickford. In defence, we have Johnny Heitinger. And then in front of them, we have the main Jan, Asamoa Jan, Miroslav Klose and Kaisuke Honda. Another good team there joining the cages, Kieran. Good blend. Good blend. It'll be, see, it'll be interesting to see how these five asides match up in a few months' time when we, we make them battle it out in the cages, the Power League cages. Yeah, when we get our top 16, there'll be a little little battle going on to do more than tease a McTominay pun for next week. That's a tease for a couple of months down the line where we have the five-a-side tournament going but that is all for this week of the podcast. We'll just finish off with a joint decision for our song, Kieran. I think there's only one yeah. choice this week. Easy one this week. Obviously, the under-21s winning a European championship. It it had to be done. It had to be done. Yeah, so I'm sure anyone and everyone listening guesses, but you'll hear in a couple of moments that choice to play us out. Kieran, Thank you again for joining me. Another fantastic chat with you. Thank you very much. And we'll we'll do it all again next week. We'll do it all again next week. Get right in on your puns and I'll speak to you then. <laughs> See you, everybody. It's coming home. It's coming. Football's coming home. It's coming home. It's coming home. It's coming home.